There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Once upon a time, there were two little boys, and they were naughty, naughty boys. Rather than go out and play like good little boys, or read books like smart little boys, these boys would rot their brains by watching terrible old monster movies. And they would do this in a marathon fashion, watching rubber monster after rubber monster. When they grew up, instead of real jobs, wives, houses in the suburbs with picket fences and fish ponds, they lived in skanky apartments and took on that most heinous of occupations. They became podcasters. I don't like this story. A sadder fate could not be imagined, and those two little boys were given every opportunity. Still, they could not help but raise their grubby fists to the heavens in defiance of all that is normal and good and shout, Welcome to another episode of Max Mike Movies. This week I don't like the ending. Then write your own. This week, as part of our series, I can't believe you haven't seen that part, duh, we're poking a stick at the 1984 children's classic Never Ending Story. It's a fantasy film with trolls and dragons and, <laughs> you will not believe this, Max had never seen it. Well, we've rectified that, and if you don't want to be rectified again, you'll say Ow. hello to the nice people, Max. I'm still sore. Yeah, well, you should be. Oh, and uh, I'm Mike. Together, we're wildly interested in telling you about our... Poll question. In our last episode, if you'll recall, we asked what kind of westerns you liked best, the classic John Ford type or the newer, grittier type. There were answers. Adam Mark, who loves to give us history, did not disappoint. Quote, I prefer the Cowboys and Aliens 2011 type. What a oh wild boy. and shameless ride that one was. Yes! That's what he wrote. Alas for all of us, Unforgiven 1992 now counts as classic. It's interesting oh. how Westerns have almost completely fallen out of the repertoire of standard Hollywood genres. Recent broadcasts like Westworld 2016 and The Ballad of Buster Scruggs 2018, admittedly both TV, have to rely on sci-fi premises or modern purposefully off-putting dialogue to keep our interest. Django Unchained 2012 and The Hateful Eight 2015 are parodies of the spaghetti western, so while good, they barely count. Mm. The Power of the Dog 2021 was by any measure awful and depressing. Really, when was the last unironic, non-cynical Western film of any note or duration in the cinematic imagination released? Brokeback Mountain 2005? There Will Be Blood 2007? I think the gravy train of reliable, profitable, feel-good Westerns ended with Dances with Wolves 1990, when the audience was shown just how much cowboys and soldier in the West, well, they sucked. <laughs> Ironically, Kevin Costner is valiantly making amends to the Hollywood machine with Yellowstone 2018 plus happy music sequels, <laughs> end quote. Whew, guess that man likes his westerns. Thanks, Adam. Mm. Yeah. Nick Hoffman was a little briefer. Quote, I kind of like the whole genre. The John Ford Wayne classics, the Cavalry Suite, Shane, the Spaghetti Series, Pale Rider, of course, Unforgiven, but I must admit, I am a bit partial to Tombstone and Open Range, end quote. Thanks, Nick. Val Coons, that 
Have I mentioned the podcast Q Footsteps lately? Well, no, she's the, not at all. Q Footsteps. Yes. What's that? Well, she's the head honcho over there. And if you want to know more about the Q Footsteps, look it up. She wrote, quote, Ooh, that's a more complicated question than it looks. I lean toward the older stuff. I love the character arcs of Stagecoach, the relationships in Rio Bravo, and, dare I say it, a few dollars more. What I don't like in most of the old westerns is the portrayal of any of the indigenous people. Native Americans, for the most part, are vicious savages. Mexicans are stupid and lazy. I know you can't hear the air quotes, but trust me, they're there. I haven't seen many modern westerns, but I get the impression that they lean into the violence more, which I don't care for. I like my violence under the Hayes Code, thanks. Implied, but not seen. There are always exceptions to the generalizations, of course, Brokeback Mountain, to name one modern film, but I'll stick with the classics, end quote. Well, there you go. Thanks, Val. Dave, who has a last name no one can pronounce, said, quote, Not sure the difference. I enjoy a good Western, no question. The scenery can be beautiful with John Wayne period photography or with more recent. Capitalism shrinks time and space, but I am comfortable with the classic pace and with the more frenetic pace of the turn of the century film that I view as the result of the even faster pace of life driven by our market economy. Okay. Ultimately, wow. the Western as a genre can transport us to a different time and place, and I enjoy the triumph of the individual over a dangerous environment. If there is too much senseless violence and or no attempt to be true to the period, then I'd enjoy as much as a truly character-driven story. In that sense, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, see our last episode on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or even the Kung Fu TV series, stand out for me. And in this genre, I have a soft spot for Stagecoach and High Noon. Uh, so, given that list, I guess I prefer classical. Special okay. mention for Snow Falling on Cedars, if that's a Western, end quote. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Well, there are cedars in the Old West and sometimes snow, so I'm uh, going to go with I think that sure. the snow would, in fact, fall on them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great stuff, as always. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. Over to the website, we have Vince Tamer of the Downy Flounder, who gave us, quote, I, I know. Flounder. <laughs> couldn't think of any other way to make it sound like the flounder was cold. Uh. Um, so it's furred, I guess. <laughs> quote, I really don't like Westerns and haven't really found one I would watch a second time. I get people like them. I just don't. I thought I might like Unforgiven, but nope. Time to add another penguin to my belt made of live <laughs> penguins. I have to lay off the poutine, end quote. I hear that poutine can be habit-forming. But I hear it goes very well with penguin. Very well. Thanks, Vince. Uh, what about you, Max? I understand huh? you're a Western fan of some sort. Which I one do. do you like? I, I like Westerns. I like most of the genre. I do like some of the modern ones, but honestly, the soft. I have the soft spot for the classics. I like the old John Ford. I mean, the, the Cavalry Trilogy. And John Ford has a distinction of being one of the very few Western directors of the time who would actually cast Native Americans playing Native Americans. Of course, he, he treated them really well in his stories too, right? In some of them, he was surprisingly uh, sympathetic. Have you ever seen huh. Ford Apache? The Bronx? Uh, no. The actual <laughs> Ford Apache, uh, Texas, I think it was. And they're talking about Cochise. And in fact, he shows up as a character along with Heronimo and... He is portrayed, yes, as violent and dangerous, but also he's defending his people, and it's very clear that the white guys have been treating him and his people like crap, and he just has had enough. So, yes, there is plenty of the red savage stuff in John Ford, but there are also very ahead-of-his-time portrayals. 
and the the cinematography is terrific. The, the th- then there are things like the Searchers, which deal with anti-Indian sentiment uh, straight on. Uh, yeah, I like. I, I'd have to say, if I had to choose, it would be the older ones. They're just. I I know they're not accurate. I know they overly romanticize the West. I know they make six guns look like they're magic, like you can shoot people's hats off at three miles away. But, uh, yeah, I just got a soft spot for them. Would you say that you think that they are, of the two, classic or current, they're just more Western? Probably not. Honestly, the class, the, the, more, the more modern ones do things like point out that people were very dirty and smelled bad <laughs> and didn't bathe and didn't brush their teeth. Whereas, you know, John Wayne's hair is always perfect and mm. everyone's, co- what is it, that line of the great race, you, your hair is always combed, your, clo- your car is always clean, your suit is always white. It's like that. But so, no, I think the more modern ones are much more realistic, which mm. is why I kind of like the fantasy, you know, if you don't look at it too close. Never, never mind the way they portray Native Americans or Mexicans as also the way they portray black people. If they're even in the movie, which usually oh. they're not. If they are, they're usually very humble. Well, as everyone knows, unless we're talking about the Civil War, black people did not invent, uh, were not invented until 1950. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and you... I, I know you just don't like the genre at all. I am not a fan of Westerns. I don't like the whole cowboy attitude. I think it honestly has really warped our sense of government in a long way. No matter what, our culture seems to favor the, quote, maverick standalone character no matter what they're doing if there is an establishment and a maverick character then we always just go right for the maverick and we don't even think about whether or not that person's right or not we just like oh yeah they're bucking the system oh you mean the one that's trying to keep us safe that one okay yeah whatever you say so no i am not a fan of the genre that being said there are a few movies that i do enjoy and they do tend to be in the grittier category one of them is an often forgot of western which i i think is the first western i saw that i liked which is a film called little big man and it stars dustin hoffman and one of the scenes i love best is he's he plays a character who his parents were killed in an indian raid or i can't remember if it's an indian raid slash uh, cavalry raid but uh these indians take him and his sister in and they grow up with them. And then later on in life, he goes back to the white man's world and then decides, well, that was a horrible mistake and tries to go back to. And his the person, he has this, this wonderful character, his grandfather, who is Native American in the film. Yeah, old Lodge Skins. And the end of the film, he's just like, yes, now, the, today is a good day to die. And he just lays down and it seems like it's going to be this really sort of mystical, sad moment. And then it starts raining and he's sits up and goes, today is not a good day to die. <laughs> <laughs> it yep. has a lot of humor. It's probably not very accurate uh, really at all, but it has some it is one of the few films that portrays the Native Americans even if not I would say realistically or correctly it portrays them very sympathetically. It shows so it, was, like it makes that. them look like people. Yeah. And I and I think they even just refer to themselves as the human beings. Like whatever yeah. their name of their tribe is, that's what it's supposed to translate into. And it we doing can get into the little bit of the mystic native thing in this which we have problems with in other films but i remember enjoying that film and i actually really liked unforgiven i thought it was a really well done film and although a western and not my type of thing i got it um there was also the quick and the dead which was sharon stone which i remember enjoying even though that's a bit um 
fantastical. <laughs> oh, it's it's a comic book. Yeah. It's a comic book movie. But again, you have another another time Gene Hackman playing an evil cowboy and he does it really well. There this is another movie where there is like subtlety. What does that mean? Yeah. The bad guy's name is Herod. Okay. <laughs> yep. Good lord. <laughs> I forget, uh, did they string her up in that position too? I can't remember. No. They, no. They, I, no her they, father he gets hanged, but uh, uh no, they don't crucify. They don't quite go that far. Although you keep wondering, well, I got to go out there and murder me some more Hebrew babies. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jews of the old west. <laughs> I also do really like Brokeback Mountain. You and I saw that together, yeah. and I I guess it's a western. And yeah, I, I and mean I it's think, it's it's modern era, but it's there's they're wearing cowboy hats and riding horses, and they're. Punching doggies, punching doggies. Yeah, although what that dog ever did to them, I'll never know. The doggies were asking for it, man. They looked at him sideways. But of course, you know, quote unquote purists of the genre really hate that film being thought of as a western because, of course, it has gay people in it. Right. There were never any gay cowboys in real life. You know, bunch of guys wearing a lot of leather with no women around for months and months on end. Yeah, they, they just sat sat around and thought pure thoughts. I'm going to, I'll be right back. <laughs> no, So yeah, anyway, regardless, we love all your answers. Thank you very yeah, thank much you. for them. But you know what they say, those who give will definitely want to answer more poll questions. Says this, that. Nobody everyone, says that. Everyone says that. This time out, we'd like to know which movie that you saw as a kid makes you feel the same way now as it did then. Uh, Let us know. If you do, we'll be able to send Bumpy to college. Until then... And then he'll never come back. No, he'll come back A nice college, upstate, where he can (laughs) run and play. Abattoir University? Is that what you're looking for? No, no. Elmer's Elmer's University. (laughs) Abattoir State College. Until then, we're still looking into never-ending stories. So here's... Facts. Budget, $27 million, though it was really wow. $60 million marks, as this was made in Germany. Ah, und Himmel! <laughs> Take, no idea in marks or kabukis, but it did bring in a cool $100 million bucks. wonder there were all those sequels. Yeah, we'll get to that. Wolfgang Peterson, the director, really doesn't like to use stunt people. He feels the audience knows and feels cheated. To that end, he wanted a child actor that could really do the stuff. Oh, God. Noah Hathaway, who plays Atreyu, was indeed injured twice while making this movie. Mm-hmm. Once he was stepped on after falling off the horse playing his best friend. Oh. Some best friend. And yeah. he was then caught in the elevator that was taking him down through the waters of the swamp. Oh! That's okay. By the time they pulled him up, he was, in fact, unconscious. Oh, good. Yeah. Child services? What's that? Oh, and the gmork, that giant wolf thing, nearly took out his eye and it knocked him to the ground. Oh! <laughs> that was a giant robot. So, yeah, next time you get email from Wolfgang asking if you'd like to be in one of his movies, say no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep your children away from him. He should stick to being a chef. It, huh? No, that's Puck. No, no, the Puck's a character from uh, Midsummer Night's Wolfgang Dream. Wolfgang Puck, he's a chef. Oh, oh. <laughs> You're fired again. <laughs> oh, Bumpy, do be ready. <laughs> That all being said, the horse was actually two horses, and no, neither of them died in the making of this movie. That's one of those urban legends. Oh, so it's a movie where the pony lives? I hate those. It's sort of, but we'll come back to that. Yeah. 
What was the Empress's new name? Yeah, it, I even turned on the the uh, subtitles, and I, it just says yelling. Yeah, I wore headphones, you can't hear it. It's supposed to be the name of Bastion's dead mother. In the book, yeah. the name is Moonchild, which, if Bastion's bomb was born what? in the 60s, is still possible. Yeah. <laughs> this was the most expensive movie made outside Hollywood at the time. In the book, Atreyu is green. The makeup didn't work, oh. so that part was changed for the movie. Okay. Huh. The Orin, the amulet Atreyu is given by the Empress, now hangs in Steven Spielberg's office, because of course it does. Now, yeah. to be fair, he was called in to help edit the film, so he did actually oh. put his paws on this film. Hmm. This was not a successful adaptation of the book, at least according to its author, Michael Ende, whose name means end in German. Figure that one out. He wanted his name taken off the opening credits, which they did, and tried to sue to have the name of the movie changed. He lost that suit. The dubbing in this film is somewhat questionable. We'll come back to this. Sadly, for all his acting and stunt doing, it is not Noah Hathaway's voice we hear at all in this movie. Oh, Which okay. I think is just plain mean. Yeah. Lucky Europe, their version of the film does not have the hit song opening, nor oh. the electric parts of the musical score. Doesn't have the haunting love theme from Never Ending Story? No. <laughs> Though this is called The Never Ending Story, it did spawn two sequels, imaginatively titled The Never Ending Story 2, The Next Chapter, and Never Ending Story 3. <laughs> Brilliant. I know. But... Unless there is any more trivia that you might know that I do not. Uh, well, I would like to point out that my favorite rendition of the theme song, Never Ending Story, is still the one sang, sung by Dustin and his girlfriend in uh, Stranger Things. I think it's the third season. Yeah, I was going to mention that this, this was that's in my notes, but that's fine. Let's get on to the plot. Mm -hmm. Bastion Bucks... No, I'm not making that last name up, is a sad little boy who's not doing well in school. His mother has recently died, and his dad, who is trying his best to move on, but who is also somewhat lacking in the empathy department, wants his son to stand on his own two feet and get on with his life. Trying to seem mature, Bastion agrees and heads off to school. On the way, he's bullied by some rotten little kids who chase him into a bookstore. There, the old man who owns it first tries to shoo Bastion out as he doesn't like kids, especially ones who don't read. But Bastion has, and has read all the classic adventure books one could possibly read at his age. Ah, but safe stories, one where you come back when you're done. Not like this one. The old man has a book he won't let Bastion look at because he says he's not ready. Of course, when he turns his back, Bastion takes the book and runs off with it, spending the day in the attic of his school reading it instead of going to class. In it, we meet Fantasia and its inhabitants, a fantasy world that's on the brink of disaster. It seems the Nothing, a formless enemy, is gobbling up just about everything. The only one who can save the world is the childlike Empress, but she's taken very ill. So, a hero is called for, Atreyu, one of the plains people who hunts the purple buffalo, you know. He alone can find what's needed to make the Empress well and save the world from the nothing. Taking his trusty horse Artax, Atreyu sets off across mountains, deserts, and the Swamp of Sadness to find the cure. Along the way, he loses his horse, is thrown in the mud, sneezed at by a giant turtle, and faces certain death under the laser-like gaze of the Sphinx of the Southern Oracle. 
But all is not exactly as it seems as Bastion's world and Atreyu's are closer than it appears. Can Atreyu bring the cure in time? Will Bastion step up or simply become one of millions without hopes and dreams? And what do dogs and dragons have in common besides the letter D? Hmm? The film. So, Max, as we have pointed out, yes. you never saw this. I never saw it. Were you aware of it when it came out in 84? Yeah, I think I saw the previews probably. I had heard about it, but I don't know. I was just not at a stage. It just sounded very much like a children's movie, and uh, at that point I didn't really feel the need. I don't know that you're wrong about that. I think yeah. it is a children's movie. Although, weren't you still going to see Disney cartoons at that time, if I'm not the, mistaken? That's art. I see. <laughs> So, in the many decades since then, yeah. in the many, many eons since this film came out in Thousands of years ago, yes. You have had no compunction to sit down and watch it. No, it's one of those that I always think about, oh, you know, I should watch that, that, that episode of Stranger Things where they sing the song made me think, oh, you know, I've never seen that movie, I should see it. I just never got around to it. Just out of curiosity, in uh, Stranger Things, are the kids... Do they seem to be in favor of the movie? Oh, they seem to really like it. Oh, cool. He's called her for some vital information, literally to save the world. She doesn't quite believe him. She's mad at him. She says, you have to sing the song for me. <laughs> it's like, we don't have time. Sing my song. <laughs> and he's well, cool. over, over the shortwave radio. He sings it and she joins in. It's actually a really adorable rendition. I got to go back to that show at some point. I stopped watching somewhere midway through season two, and it wasn't because I didn't like it. I just literally stopped watching it and forgot. I think so, it stays fun. Yeah. It's not so, as, br the, the first season was easily the best, but anyway. I, I want to give a little bit of background. Mm. Wolfgang Peterson. So he directed a few films you probably haven't heard of, like Poseidon, which, yeah, you know uh, what that is. That oh, is yeah. the remake of the Poseidon Adventure. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Troy. The Perfect Storm, oh, Air Force One, Outbreak, In the Line of Fire, Enemy Mine, Das Boat, and, well, many other films. Wow, so he's kind of uneven, but he's got some biggies in there. Yeah, he actually got some flack, apparently, for just doing big-budget, you know, profitable films. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you. How dare you make films that make money? Get out of it. Oh, no, wait. Stay, 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 yeah. stay. <laughs> And he made this, which, all things considered, did basically four times its budget. So that's what you're looking for. Yeah, it does not surprise me this movie was German. Because, I mean, the giant turtle, Morla, mm -hmm. is like, yeah, there is no point to existence. <laughs> but that's more it? French. <laughs> no, no, that's, it's Nietzschean. It's like, yeah, uh, we stare into the void and the void stares back at us. Uh. <laughs> I admit that's not what you want in your NPCs. Nothing matters. Why bother? I mean, it's this giant Eeyore. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Or Glum from Gulliver's Travels. We're never going to make it. <laughs> Nothing is Glum from Gulliver's yeah. Travels. You. But at <laughs> least the film opens with possibly the most 80s soundtrack since Lady Oh, Hawk. Lord. <laughs> it seriously is. Although it's not, to me, the Lady Hawk soundtrack, it's a movie I love, but... It's much more jarring in Lady Hawk, I think. Partly I think it's because it's set in, you know, olden whenever. times. And this is supposed to be contemporary for 19, was it 84? 84. Yeah. So it's not quite as jarring, but it is still, it's like, 
Welcome to the 80s. And even the, the kids, the bullies, like, hello, we'll be your 1980s bullies for this movie. Yeah, that whole opening sequence is like, okay, uh, thankfully, they just get it out of the way. They do. It's and it's done quick and gone. I don't know if you noticed, but for some inexplicable reason, the lead bully, the curly-haired bully, yeah. is wearing a Zippy the Pinhead t-shirt. I missed that. Oh, He's wow. Like, what the heck? Why Are is we that having here? fun yet? Yeah. <laughs> I, okay, yeah, Like sure. all bullies wore, sure. And of course, you know, Bastion's dad, who's doesn't have a name, he's just Bastion's father. Hey, I worked for American Pie. <laughs> that's major that's Major Dad himself, Gerald McRaney. Who's that? Uh he was a show called Major Dad. It was a sitcom from like the eighties and nineties, was on for a long time. He was also uh one half of Simon and Simon. Oh, was he Simon? No, he was Simon. Oh, oh, I thought he was the bear. <laughs> no, he's he's done it. He is a he was a staple of TV for decades. Speaking of BJ and the bear, why is there a monkey named Bear? <laughs> if I anyone have no knows, idea. please tell us. Yeah, why? I don't get it. Is it just because he's hairy? I don't know. I mean, they did know in the show. I never watched it, but they did know it wasn't a bear. I'm right? pretty sure they knew it was was an. <laughs> I'm about 60% sure they didn't know it was a bear. Although, to be fair, if the show had been called BJ and the Chimp, I don't think anyone it would have It wouldn't have, have suffered. It. I don't think it could have gotten any worse. I wouldn't. You wouldn't have watched a, a show with the word Chimp in the title, would you? I Not since Lanc- Lancelot Link. Hey, I love that show. We are uh, way off topic yeah, here. Sorry also, in that. the credits, we get introducing Tammy Stronach. Yeah. And who is the childlike empress. Wave um, goodbye, because that's the last thing yeah, she's going to do in yes. movies for about 20 years. Yeah, although but I But that I was gotta, by her choice. If, if you see pictures of her later, uh, she grew up nice. Well, I just just to see what had happened to him, I looked up Noah Hathaway, who is playing Atreyu. He became a tattoo artist and is actually a very nice-looking man. He's about 50, 51, I forget. Okay, well, good for him. What about uh, Barrett Oliver? He... You would not recognize him. Um, He has got a very, very long black beard and (laughs) frizzy black, like, scientist hair, and he's bald on top. And apparently what he did is he did a few films. Uh, There was some... I remember there was a film called Daryl. He played the android in that. I never saw it. That's right, the robot kid. He was in Cocoon, too, I think. Yeah, he did, like, a few films after this and then kind of said, yeah, the heck with this, and walked off and actually became a very well-known and respected... I want to... How do I put this? archaeological photographer and i don't mean he takes pictures of archaeological sites he goes back into old types of photography and brings them back and apparently he's very well thought of for that yeah yeah but you've forgotten of course probably his greatest role as victor frankenstein in frankenweenie well and here's a funny thing when i looked at frankenweenie it said that they had kept that short in the vaults for a number of years and you and I saw that in 1985, yeah, b- b- right before Baby: Secret of the Lost Legend, a but it, it brilliant maybe it was, dinosaur saw, film. We with saw William it in England, Kat. so yeah. maybe there was a different. There were different release laws, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, no, we saw Frank and Weenie, so yeah. I I barely remember that film. I remember thinking it was actually reasonably funny, and that Baby was terrible, which yes, uh, I will Just stand by dull. not having seen it in nearly 40 years. So yeah, we get the opening with the wonderful music and then spielberg clouds <laughs> yep lots of spielberg clouds you can see his thumbprints all over the film yeah that being said we also get this typical bullying they call him the weirdo i'm guessing it's because he reads freak I, well yeah this is the 80s you what you, you you don't enjoy sports ball and you're not large you are a weirdo and we despise you Yes, and you don't have a funny accent here in um, Vancouver, as it turns out. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know where that school is, because I never saw any school that has cool an attic as that school had. Well, 
I don't know about you, but I personally think that every elementary school should have a taxidermy wing. Absolutely. <laughs> and a fully articulated human skeleton just sitting there. Yep. and because kids want that stuff. stuffed wolf's head. Sure. And I, oh, sorry, here's a thing that I didn't think of at the time, which makes no sense. But when they, they actually have the wolf head fall down and scare him at one point yeah. during the storm, I couldn't help if they were trying to do this, this Wizard of Oz thing where it's like, well, is he reading a story? Is it fantasy? Blah, blah, blah. But I don't think they are. I just think that the comparisons are weird. Did you yeah. even ma make that connection at oh, all? Oh, yeah. I think because it looks exactly like the Gnort or whatever it was, the, the wolf the wolf thingy, the thingy yeah. that's after him. Yeah. And as we find out, the line between fantasy and reality is pretty darn thin in this. Well, and of course, that's I, hmm, this is going to be tough because there is a kind of twisty ending, kind of, and kinda. it's going to be really hard to talk about the film without referencing that and giving something away. So... As we always have in the beginning of the show, the part in the theme which says there's going to be spoilers. Let's just sort of underline that. Yeah, if you've not seen spoilers. this film and you're kind of saving it, this might be a point where you want to walk off and come back to the Go episode. Go watch later. the movie and come yeah. back. Yeah, because it's the ending is a very important part of the film, and I don't see how we're not going to be able to talk about it. So, yeah. I got to say, though, this kid is very well read, and he's he mentions the books he's read to the old man in the bookstore. Yeah. And one of the things I really like about this film is the absolute wonder that this kid obviously gets from reading. Do you remember doing that, Max? Were you, yeah. you a kid who's lost in books? Oh, God, yeah. Kel Surprise. Yep. But there was nothing like it, right? And if you were in a particularly nope. good book, you would stay up and keep reading it because you needed to see how it ended. Yeah, right? you had to. It didn't matter if you were sleepy. It didn't matter if you hadn't eaten. You just you had to keep reading. And, you know, part of me sits and goes, oh, yeah, kids today don't do that. Except I worked at a bookstore, a major bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and I was there when the Harry Potter books came out. Oh, yeah. There were kids who stayed, who didn't sleep for like three days because they couldn't stop reading the books. Well, we had late night release parties because we weren't allowed to release it until midnight. Mm. And so what would happen is we'd keep the store open and the kids, we'd have activities for them. And they came in costume by the hordes of them. And they would wait until midnight when we could actually open the boxes and sell the books. And we, the funny thing is, is as many kids and parents were there, we were done in less than an hour. Because they were like, we can buy it now? Cool, we're going home. And everybody knew that none of those kids were going to school the next day. Yeah, yep, everybody was reading. Yeah, no, that it still happens. I believe that. And I love the fact, there's a many, many times where we see Bastion literally face deep in the book and he's talking about the things in the books like no no this can't happen and he's so just wrapped with this story it is the center of of everything he cares about at that moment and you see this yeah you see the same thing in the princess bride yeah when the kid who starts off sort of like oh yeah whatever you can read it and then he's like no wait you read that wrong wesley doesn't die he can't die he's the hero yeah you tell him he didn't die because I'm telling you he died. All right, all right. I'll, I'll read it back again. In, in the book, Princess Bride, the uh, kid who's being read to, because that is a framing device of the story, right. uh, at, really gets upset. Yeah. I just, it was just so nice because it, it, if anything in this film, that really brought me back to childhood of remember being, for me, it was a lot of Hardy Boy books. I used to just, uh. I, I would sit there in the summer and I would just sit there and read them and read them. Sometimes well into my teens, uh, into my late teens, even 16, 17, 18, I would sure. read Hardy Boy books. But I really love the depiction of the kid loving to read books and how much he got into them. 
real quick, this film is mostly on the shoulders of two actors. Yeah, the two kids. Yeah. And I got to say, I think they both do an excellent job. They do. I think it's, and George Lucas, pay attention. There, you can find good child actors. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Barrett Oliver does a nice job. And uh, Noah Hathaway. Noah Hathaway. (laughs) No, that's right. He was boxy on Battlestar Galactica. Yes, he was. Yes. They do a nice job. Even the little empress who's on screen for about five minutes. Yeah. I think she does a really good job. And of course, this is meant to be a kid's film. And I think one of the nice differences is that all the adults quickly get out of the way. Yeah. Of both sides of the story, both the the Bastion side of the story and the Atreus side of the story. Some of the the characters are adult fantasy creatures, but really we're focused on the kids. And dear gods, poor Noah. (laughs) Oh my gods. When you sit there, because sometimes when you're watching a movie, you're like, okay, that's not William Shatner. The hair is totally different and he's half a foot taller. And yeah, he's holding his cape over his face, but we know it's not Bela Lugosi or whatever. And in this film... There's really only one point where I'm not sure it's him, and I it's like there's no reason for it. At this point, he's fallen off the horse. He's been thrown in the mud three times. Yeah. And at one point, he's got his shoulder wound, and it's like, I don't know that that's fake blood. Yeah, I'm not sure that's latex. I think he actually has been maimed by this movie. And he just sucks it up and does it. And there are older actors, adult actors, who don't go through the crap that he does. Yeah. So, and I, I want to say the earnestness on Barrett Oliver's face when he's reading and he's really into the story, he does, I don't know, I don't see a lot of kids who can pull that that depth of acting off at that age. And I think that they both deserve some sort of something. Absolutely. They, they deserve a lot of recognition for that. They're both really impressive. Now, on the other side of things, we have um, some special effects. Yep. That... Um, Hey, from 1984. They aren't really all that special, let's face it. They are, but here's the thing, they're reaching really far. They are literally making giant robotic things that need to have expressions. And they're obviously somewhat mechanical. That being said, I think a lot of those expressions are surprisingly good. It's remarkable with the rock biter, particularly. Mm who is a, a basically a costume, costume spl- slash special effect, and they make him very expressive, which right. when you consider that he can barely move. Right. When he's got a tongue. He has a tongue. <laughs> and he enunciates. Yep. And he is voiced by the great Alan Oppenheimer, who also voices pretty much everybody. He voices Falcor, the dragon. He voices the Mort, the wolf thing. Uh, didn't he also invent the atomic bomb? Uh, no, that's oh. a different Oppenheimer. But of course, he was also man at arms in He Man Masters the Universe. That guy? That guy. <laughs> he has done so much voice work. Well, as we know, he wins on neutrinos. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Not the movie, the cartoon. Oh. He well. was the real man at arms. <laughs> <laughs> the real. Yeah, well, if we're real lucky, they're going to make another one of those, so whatever. They probably will. Yeah. Th- this film is almost entirely dubbed. I think that there's times when Barrett Oliver isn't, and even if he is, it's his own voice. The rest of the time, you can tell, and it's terrible. Mm. I honestly just, I could tell. I didn't know that it, it wasn't. It didn't bother me. I, I barely knew, noticed it, really. It's, well, here's the thing. It's, a lot of times I will watch these movies with headphones, 
And if you have the headphones on, oh, oh. You, you can tell like the voice has literally none of the ambiance of the background. Yeah. So, and it, this was all almost all shot on a studio in Germany. So, but the sets are incredibly expansive. Like all the different things he goes through. I mean, they you can see that they spent a lot of money on this. I think, but sadly, this movie does suffer from early onset whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> there's a fair amount of whimsy in this although there's some stuff that uh th- i mean we, we kind of have to talk about the elephant in the room and that's the death of artax okay so did you know about that ahead of time yes how okay. could i not it's been <laughs> memed all over the internet for 20 years there's actually a great photo of somebody who was ro- uh, cosplaying a treyu at a con somewhere and he <laughs> had the head of the horse in the swamp behind him and whenever asked to stop for pictures he would turn and like plead to it no oh. artax no oh <laughs> it's hilarious what about the the death of artax okay um i know this will make me sound heartless and i'm sure it's different if you're a kid watching it but i was like okay these two characters, Atreo and Artex, have been on screen for less than 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm not emotionally invested. Well, the, that's because you don't like Bumpy. <laughs> well, yes, I'm also all for watching horses die. But <laughs> Terrible no, person. No, no, I'm not. I'm kidding. Just one horse in particular. Um, You're a terrible <laughs> person. <laughs> but I, I, I just, I didn't get it. I, I, again, I think it's very different if you're a kid. It's not like I didn't find other things. I find the Rockbiter's speech, if they look like good, strong hands, don't they? Where oh, he's lamenting man. that he... That's friggin' heartbreaking. Yeah, there's because a point in the it, film it, yeah. later on where we we see the Rockbiter again, and he had been traveling with these, these two other characters, yep. and apparently they got sucked up by the nothing, and he and couldn't he, hold he them back. He couldn't save them, and it's just broken him. Yeah. And it, that I'm that to me was much more much more heartbreaking than watching uh, Artax die, just mainly because the Rockbiter had been around longer. We had more invested in him. Well, I want to say that too that that it's actually an expression of personal failure. Where to be fair, Artax mostly said. <laughs> I mean, the idea of, that that's the other problem. The idea being. That you get sucked into the swamp if you give in to the sadness. So you're telling me the horse is depressed? I think it would probably be fair to say that the horse gave in to fright. Like, mm. uh, I can't swim, not much. Get me out of here, Wilbur. Uh, you're kind of small. You're real strong, though, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I still felt it was sad. And I think part of the reason I felt it was sad is because that Bastion felt it was sad. And Bastion was putting himself in the place of Atreyu like you're supposed to. The reason it does come across as sad is Atreyu is just sobbing and just, he, and you got you to give the kid credit. He threw himself into that. Yeah, he did. I, I can totally see your point. I don't know that I felt the same way, but I can totally see your point. And it definitely has merit. It is very soon. We haven't seen them really. All they've done is ride. If it, like at some point Artax had saved his life from something, maybe that would have, or if we like, there's this one really cute scene where Atreyu is asleep and Artax wakes yeah. him up and he's nuzzling him. And it's like, that's very, it's obviously yeah. have a very close relationship, but there isn't perhaps enough evidence for us to feel that. So That's I'll, the only scene like that we get. Yeah. I do love that when Bastion is first sent into the bookstore, runs into the bookstore, yeah. and the old man is like, well, you don't read. 
<laughs> and the kid's like, well, I've read this, 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 and this. Basically, every kid's yeah. adventure book you could think of. He, he has this book he just happens to be reading. Mm. He goes, no, 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 this, this is not for you. I don't know about you, but my first thought was, is that Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> yeah, I have to say, this scene did not age well. Here's the little boy, and here's the old man getting right up next to him, right into his face, and telling him about this forbidden book. Again, it's very hard for a modern sensibility to look at that as it was totally innocent in the movie. Yes. It's hard to see it that way now. Yeah. And of course, it's just me and projecting, but I did still think it was funny. Yeah. One of the other things about the book reading that I like is the idea that the heart of every hero is its reader and that those characters exist because we take them into us and make them something. If you read a book and you don't get into it, the hero doesn't come alive. And that is a pretty major part of this film, although the cool part is Bastion doesn't realize this. Yeah, not for quite a while. And in that way, and in in other ways, this is one of the most meta films I have ever seen. This is incredibly metatextual. It really is. It's like, at the end... It's like, fourth wall, hand me that hammer. Well, let's get there and let's make another warning. We're about to discuss the ending of the film. And so if you haven't seen it, Mm. go away and come back. And we're back. Yep. So Bastion's reading this book and he's totally drawn into it. He's totally ignored everything. No one's come looking for him, although why they'd look in the taxidermy attic, I don't know. (laughs) But it gets to the point where it becomes very obvious that he is part of the story as well. And that the book is directly referencing the fact that he's reading it. Yeah, and it, it, it refers to him. And it says, yes, there's a kid reading us right now, and he doesn't realize how close he is. And he's like, they're not talking about me, are they? And at first it scares him, and he runs yeah. away from the book. Which is not unreasonable. I think that's a perfectly <laughs> legitimate response. Well, how would you have felt as a young lad if you were reading the book, and then the princess in her downy robe and sapphire crown turns and says, Max Levine, will you save me? (laughs) That book would be in the fireplace so fast. I've got the Necronomicon! Oh my God! Especially if it then said, no, Max, please don't throw me into the fireplace like the Necronomicon. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, that would freak me to hell out. I think uh, Bastion's re- re- reaction is completely warranted. And of course, this leads into why is this called the never ending story? We can see it's one book and it has an end. So, like, mm-hmm. what's with that? But eventually, things happen. The nothing, which is never really even a thing, it's just sort of. It's a void. It's the absence. It says when it's that which fills the place where when people let their hopes d- go and their dreams die. Yeah, and there's a great quote near the end where it's, people who have no hopes are easy to control. Yeah, I'm sorry. Some (laughs) of this stuff is uncomfortably timely. I know. (laughs) When Pete, what is it? uh, uh, Yeah, yeah, that was the main thing is uh, the people who have no hopes are easy to control. Yikes! So, yeah, we get this metatextual part where Bastion is understood to be part of the story, even though he just picked this book up seemingly at random, but then it takes another it step takes past it that. Out, even further out saying the audience, we, the people watching the movie, are part of the story. Right. And this is where we get into the whole never-ending story part. And the end of this film... Yeah. I tear up every time. This I know we're getting ahead of the does-it-hold-up thing, but... 
she needs a new name. And the whole idea of the story is Atreyu has gone off looking for the cure for the Empress and he can't find it anywhere. Everywhere he goes, the Sphinx, where he has to basically not not look down upon himself. He has to trust that he is worthy enough to go past them or they will kill him. Yeah. And he manages to do it barely. And he gets to cheats. Part of it he does by running. You know what? Hey, if it gets him through, it's better than the guy in the armor. And that wasn't, there are parts of this film that are a little bit intense for children. Never. Yeah. Never mind the horse he dying, but this knight gets fried alive in a full suit of plate mail. And luckily as, as uh, Atreyu passes it, his helmet flips up so you can see his all charred goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But then he gets to the Southern Oracle who's just like, uh, yeah, sorry, can't help you. I got to go now. I'm breaking up. And Atreyu just heads back to the ivory tower. (laughs) I wonder why that was named. To the Empress. And he's like, I'm sorry I failed. And she's like, you didn't fail. It's like, what are you talking about? It's like. We needed a human child, and I I couldn't get past the edges of Fantasia because Fantasia is made up of the hopes and dreams of people. There is no boundary. I I, I failed. It's the imagine. It's the world of the imagination. And she says, "No, you succeeded. He's here. <laughs> you brought him with you. Your adventures brought him with you." I'm sorry. This actually gets me emotional. I don't know why, but it does. And I said, like, "That's so cool." Yeah. That's what you do. You read a story and you put, if you, if it's a good story, you lose yourself and you're part of it. And that's the whole point of this movie. And I really liked that part. And I honestly thought as janky as some of the rest of the parts of the film are, as the not perfect sense of some (laughs) of the green screen and the puppetry are, the ending is this really, I, I honestly, when I first saw this, did not see it coming moment that I think really pays off. And poor Sebastian is just like, I, this can't be real. I cannot give myself over to the story until he finally does. Yeah. And he does. Although I, if we are talking about the ending, the very ending of the movie is kind of odd. It be- is. Because and he as actually. As it turns out, it's only about half of the book. Ah. Uh. <laughs> but go ahead, uh, please. Yeah. Because it's. Because this is, I thought I saw where this was going. It's like, okay, now he's going to go home. He's going to leave. He's going to, like, face the bullies on his own. He's going to have a renewed sense of purpose. He's going to understand that his that there's nothing wrong with reading. But there's going to be this question of, did this really happen? You know, it's going to be ambiguous. No! <laughs> he ends up riding the friggin' dragon through the streets of Vancouver, apparently, <laughs> chasing the bull. And people can see it. This yeah. is real. He has brought the luck dragon, which I, I thought was an interesting idea, Falcor, into the real world. Did and then he? we then we hear a yes we do. Yes he did because we hear a narrator say that that he went around and had a lot of adventures before returning to the real world. Well, and that's the thing. He had a lot of adventures before returning to the real world. I oh, honestly think that was one of them. Okay, if that's the idea that it's still just in his head. Yes. And that's the book, possible. Appara- I didn't read the book. Apparently in the book, the second half of the book is him having adventures in the land of Fantasia. And interestingly, this is sort of a Wizard of Oz kind of thing, movie-wise, not book-wise. Eventually, he has had his adventures, and he comes back to the real world. 
and forgets everything he'd done in Fantasia mm. because he leaves his dreams and hopes there. That's apparently <laughs> the deal with the book. And one of the reasons that the author didn't like the way they were doing it in the movie. I can see that. That's kind of an interest. That's a somewhat more interesting ending. But l- luckily there would be two sequels, which starred totally different people and, and had a, different directors. And, and had apparently are terrible. Well, the second one had Jonathan Brandis in it. And Ooh. Jonathan Brandis, you may ha- you may know him <laughs> from C what is it C World C Lab twenty twenty what was that oh um, dear no, the cartoon no, no 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 what was the live action thing that with uh, oh Sequest Ro- Sequest Sequest uh, oh. twenty twenty yeah with uh, what's his name from Jaws in it uh, Roy, Roy Scheider Roy Scheider right. yeah Jonathan Brandis showed up and I. I don't know. I just didn't care for him yeah. as a child actor. Um, apparently, he had a very, very difficult career and ended his own life fairly early, which is sad. Dear. But then the third movie had nobody else. But the problem was, of course, the kids in this film got older and they were too old to do the film. So I was yeah. like, we can't do a sequel because you're like dating age now. And <laughs> we can't do that because you're supposed to be 12. Come on, Falcor, we gotta find the Empress. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So when Atreyu's uh, um, <clears throat> drop, then. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have adventures with my horse, Artex. Hey, we're going out. Uh, I mean, uh, gosh, what should we. Gosh, what should we do now? <laughs> yeah, that would have worked. That's too. You know, the. So the other thing about this uh, this movie is there are some surprising people in it. There are a lot of. Oh, that guy is in it. It has to be because I didn't recognize anybody. Yeah. Like. In the beginning, there's a character, yes, he's called Teeny Weenie. He's the little guy riding the, sta- the snail because he, he is, in fact, paid, played by Deep Roy. Ah. Who, if you have seen a little person in any movie for the last 40 years, that's him. I thought it was uh, the guy who was Mini-Me. Um, oh, Vern Troyer? No, he was much later. Or, Deep, or Billy Barty. Deep Roy has been around forever. Oh, yeah, you, may, you may more recently know him from uh, the... Johnny Depp, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where he played all of the Oompa Loompas. I was just about to ask if that was him. Yep, that is him. Okay. And there's a guy, Chiron, which we I don't we don't know his name at any point because no one says it, but he's sort of the the guy who speaks for the Empress when she's sick. That's Moses Gunn, and Moses Gunn has been in everything. Okay. He's, was he in Star one of the Star Trek movies? Yes, he was. Okay. He's one. He's one of those actors where you go, oh, it's you know the classic that guy from that thing, like yeah. Vincent Schiavelli. Yeah. Oh, I love Vincent Schiavelli. <laughs> Vincent Schiavelli. I yeah. He's he's. There are certain character actors that I love in everything, and he is one of them. Uh, if you don't know who Vincent Schiavelli is, look him up. You yeah, will go. Oh, that's that, Vincent. Yep, that guy. I his. I can't imagine uh, how long his IMDb page is. It's, it's got to be gigantic. It's got to be forever. I, I have to say, one of the things that strikes me about this movie is. You know, this kind of might have worked in our In Search of D&D series, because apart from the metatextual stuff, which sometimes does come into D&D, True. Uh, there's a whole lot of, okay, here's the hero, he's given his quest, runs into all these NPCs, doesn't loot anything, but... <laughs> doesn't actually kill anything either. Well, yes, he does. He kills the Gamort. Okay, that's true. The very end, he's not armed and he doesn't like hack his way through things. My well, he, note, kill, he picks picks up a, a sharp rock and kills him. Right? No, no, no. But it's like yeah. along the way, he was oh, not yeah. allowed to take any weapons, so he's not hacking his way through things. Yeah. And the only thing he really does is stand there with the sharpened rock <laughs> as the more uh, attacks him. So you can't really blame him for that. But my note was, parents, this is exactly the kind of movie that leads to D&D. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. I, I think the only reason it wouldn't have worked is he's alone. 
And D and D is usually no, a group yeah. effort. Yeah, it's there, there was no real party. There it was all one guy and NPCs. Yeah. And otherwise, I totally agree. Maybe yeah. this is the D and D game where you only play the one person yeah. or something. Yeah. Video game. I mean, yeah. Something like it, that. It has a a very European slash mid eighties fantasy feel. I had a very similar feeling from both Krull and Lady Hawk. Yeah. That that kind of fantasy background, it's like it's, this is not the one we tend to do in America. It's definitely a more European based. Well, they got more castles and stuff. Well, they also, ha- although they do have the Luck Dragon, who is very obviously an Asian inspired dragon as opposed to European. Except he's fuzzy. There are he's, no fuzzy dragons. He's a puppy. He's meant to be yeah. like warm and cuddly. Yeah. I mean, despite the fact cute. that as a 30 foot long robot, he could fall <laughs> on you and kill you. Yes. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Yeah, and, and I liked uh, the comic relief uh, NPCs, you know, Engi Wook and uh, Urgle, uh, the exposition dump and the healer. I was a little upset that they kind of plagiarized H.R. Puff and stuff with the stupid bat character. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> Stupid bat. Yeah, because I'm sure that's what they did. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that was exactly what they thought of. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to say also, this is a very slight thing. It's a cultural reference that you don't see as much anymore, and it's not even mentioned in the film. It's just obvious that Bastion is a latchkey kid. Remember those? Because I was one of those. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's when it's like, yeah, uh, kid, I'm heading off to work. You know how to get in and out of the house, right? Great. Well, we'll see you when you get back. Dad is very much like, well, I'm very disappointed in you. Now I have to go off to go to business. Actually, that that brings up a question I wasn't even planning on asking. So the kid's mom's died. Yes. Do you think that actually has any bearing on the story? Well, sure. It explains it it would increase his tendency for uh, introversion where he turns into, he looks for books. He looks for fantasy because the real world is painful. Maybe he just likes them. Yeah, but I think his the problem seems to be that he's become obsessed with them and that he's not paying attention to anything else. You know what that means? Yeah. That kid's going to grow up to be a writer. Good yeah, for him. Probably. <laughs> but uh, I think that is that is an effect. It's he's he's looking for comfort because he sure as hell isn't getting any from dear old dad and his school doesn't seem to be helping. He doesn't seem to have any friends. Well, the Bastion's life is so briefly shown. Yes, dad has the empathy of a can of mustard. Like, really, that's about it. And it's just sort of that, it's a very soft version of toxic male masculinity. Oh, we don't talk, we don't have feelings, son. You must learn about that. Father, I had a feeling today. Well, don't. (laughs) Yeah. And he also has to deal with the fact that his parents named him Bastion. I don't know. I think it's kind of a neat name. I all I could figure is maybe it was short for Sebastian. It's you I know, it's, a, it's, so. it's a made up name, but yeah, we don't. It, he's very much an archetype. The character of Bastian is the the book kid, the nerdy kid. His father says, "I'm really upset you didn't try it for swim team." And all I could think of was, "Up yours, dad." <laughs> yeah. Sports is not the answer to everything. Uh, but him being a latchkey kid, there's a lot of stuff going. But he's very much an archetype. We don't get a lot about him. His no. mother's death obviously troubles him for 30 seconds and then doesn't really become part of the story until he decides to choose that as the name for the empress. Well, which, he does say, you know, uh, I wish I could give her my mom's name. She had a beautiful name. That's it. But yeah. eh, I'm not sure how much it matters because really the important part is everything else. Mm-hmm. Speaking of everything else, do you have any more uh, notes or should we get to this? Cause I'm actually really curious. I, I was a little surprised by the fact that the, the magic MacGuffin that Atreya wears around his neck does virtually nothing until the last sequence. 
And even then, it's, it's not really. It's like, well, it's glowing, so and it's telling us to keep flying in exactly the same direction <laughs> that we've been going. Yeah, there. Um, one of the things I didn't mention was that besides those two sequels, there was a TV show. Oh, I think I heard about that. Yeah, I watched a um, a clip from it on IMDb. It is um, oh, what's dear. that word? Regrettable. Yes, uh, that's the word. Unfortunate, was it? Yeah. yeah. Some and it's yeah. five minutes, literally five minutes I saw of this TV show, and it's like, you don't have any idea what this is, do you? And the, the, the amulet glows and does something. I forget what it is. but You know, there are a couple of, like, I like one of the lines that uh, Engie Wook has, like, confronted with their true selves, most men run away screaming. Yeah, like, oh, the mirror of Erised. Like, oh, I why, mean... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the dark mirror there. That and was other, a really creepy, cool scene. It is. It's a very cool scene. I'm also sitting there going, okay, from a gaming point of view, this kid's a moron. Why did you run away and leave the luck dragon? He's right there. He could have <laughs> flown you over the laser sphinxes. Oh, I see. Yeah. But that's not how you get there. I you know, only I get know. there. Max, have you ever played D&D? &D? <laughs> Uh, that's that uh, Dunces and Dummies game, right? <laughs> hey, y'all got your little, little dunces, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Max, you give me my own dunce. Thanks. <laughs> you want to hear the head dunce? <laughs> I was, in fact, the head dunce, yes. <laughs> yeah, the mirror scene where we first figure out what's going on and he sees Sebastian, I'm sorry, Bastion in as his reflection and Bastion realizes he sees Atreyu and another one of the meta parts of the film that I really liked. The only thing that wasn't D&D-like is what should have, of course, happened is the reflection of Treo comes out and he has to fight himself. Yeah. That's what you yep, do. that's what happens. That is that is expected. But I think we should get to that yeah, part. As I, I think said, so. I'm curious. The finish. So Max, huh? you had never seen this. No, and I still haven't. Yes, you have. Nope, nope, I have not. Um, I can prove it. I can just <laughs> listen to the rest of the show. <laughs> Damn. So I finally browbeat you, bought you, whatever, <laughs> into watching this film. Yes. So what did you think? I wish I'd seen it as a kid. I think as a kid, I would have gone nuts for it. It's a little harder to see as an adult because you can see where most of it, except the very end, is going. Mm -hmm. uh, and you do look at things and going, okay, yeah, that's very 1980s. But I think it's pretty good. I, I was surprised. And they deal with some surprisingly complex ideas about self-reflection and the power of the imagination and the idea, in effect, of the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty good. Cool. Uh, uh, now, yeah. I, again, you, hmm? I was going to say, did you think you were going to like it ahead of time or did you have like, what was your opinion? Like, this is going to be cheesy. I had like no idea. I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of a kid's movie and it's going to just be very simplistic because that the sequences I've seen of it over the decades have looked kind of childlike. And, but uh, actually watching it's like, okay, this is a bit more, deep, more complicated, a little deeper than I would have thought. I was worried that you might think, oh, Mike likes it. It's probably Hudson Hawk all over again. <laughs> Hudson Hawk was an anomaly. <laughs> was and it? And besides, I also think it's a fun movie. I think it's a terrible <laughs> movie, but it's a lot of fun to watch. I've seen it several times. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, think, it, uh, I think it works pretty well. Now, do you think that kids might get something out of this today, or are they just too... Jaded and the special tough. effects were just be like, I, this is so fake. It's so phony. I don't know. That's a tough one. I think they would because there's still some narrative stuff in here that hasn't been done to death. Mm -hmm. That level of metafiction, while 
that's not the way a lot of cartoons do it or a lot of kids programming do it. It's more of a wink to the audience or, you know, breaking the fourth wall as a joke, not integrating it into the plot. That's unusual. Mm. I think that's distinctive. I think kids would like it. Hmm, I mean, neat. I think they would, there, there are some scenes that will really upset kids. <laughs> I mean, like I say, the art tax scene didn't bother me that much, but I could see, especially kids who like horses, which is most kids, that would be a really traumatic scene. Are you saying if you brought a small child to this, you'd take them out and they'd just stare at you and go, I see dead people. <laughs> Pretty much. Or, Why did you do that for me? You know, and it's funny, I think when this film came out, the age, the average age of its viewer is older, is younger, I should say. Younger? Hmm. No, 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 I was right. Is older than would be considered ready for this film now. I think in some ways, visual communication has readied children for ideas like this sooner than might have been. This might have been a 10, 11 year old film then, and now I could easily see seven, eight or nine. I don't know. The way that people tend to either self-censor or actually uh, by film codes. <sighs> what was it? There were rules in cartoons as late as the 90s where you oh. couldn't use the word death or right. dead. Right. And they wouldn't show blood. And they would not... The worst you would happen is, oh no, he's gone into a coma. They did that in the G.I. Joe movie, I remember. Well, I'm sure that's because the voice actor was fired. <laughs> Probably, but uh, I yeah, I'm not sure. I think that uh, this might still shock some kids. They hmm. don't see a lot of actual death, especially you watch the horse die. You watch him sink into the water. It cuts away. Yeah, but you. I mean, see his it. head sticking up and his eye, the whites of his eyes are like, "You're going to pull me out, right? You're going to pull me out." Cut away. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's that's more than you see in a lot of kids' stuff these days. Yeah, so a, a vote of uh, thumbs up from Max. I think so. How about, what did you think? Now, you've seen it. When did you first see it? I did not see it in the theater. It was, yeah. This was during the golden age of the video store. Uh, and I'm sure it got brought home at some point, and I've seen it only on VHS up till now. I do own a DVD copy, so at some point I bought it and watched it again. This is not a film I will watch too often because I like to forget the impact of the ending. This film makes me cry. I think it's, Parts of it are beautiful. I love the ending. I love the way they bring in Bastion to the story and make him a part of it. And I love the way it makes me remember how I would fall into a book and just not notice things like what time it was or, oh, I didn't eat today or shower. What's that? <laughs> you know, yeah. I, the power of the word. And of course, this is very timely because what's going on right now? There's a big writer's strike because why? Because people still treat writers like crap, which is ridiculous. And let's face it, the writing of this film, even if it's not a perfect representation of the book it comes from, the writing in this film is really good. It is. It's surprisingly I, good. I would say the two things that this film really relies on are a good script, a really good script, a really interesting script with a lot of depth, especially for kids, and some pretty seriously good acting by kid actors, which you don't often see. So, yeah, I, I am a very, very big fan of this film. I, it touches me. I really like the film. I'm, I, I honestly can't guess if kids would like it today or not. It may be a little slow for them because they want everything to blow up and more action. But the fact that it does not in any way insult its audience, then its audience was meant to be kids. They, like you said, it gives them some pretty heady things to think about. Yeah. 
And I, yeah, I, I am a fan. So the, again, the special effects, yeah, we've seen it done better. Could it would have been better with CG? Sure. Does that really matter in the end? No. Not really. So I'm a big fan of this, but I'm also a big fan yeah. of people answering our poll question. Well, tell us what it is again. Well, our poll question is what movie that you saw as a kid still makes you feel the same way you did then now, or is it now, now then? then? <laughs> and to do so, to let us know, you can send us direct email to us at maxmikemovies.com. Go to our website maxmikemovies.com where you can see all our episodes leave comments give us ideas hey we got uh, a little correction last week it was texted <clears throat> but we still really appreciate hearing from you so if there's anything that we got wrong let us know if there's something we got right let us know ideas for shows or series let us know you can also do that over to the facebook page which is big surprise max mike movies and hey if you like podcasts and you have a podcast app that's your favorite we're probably already there. Of course, if you're listening to us, this is a pointless piece of... We should stop adding that part. People know, yeah, they know, I hope. But this show, this series, has just got started. Yep. And next week, it's going to be Max's turn to pick a film I haven't seen. And I'm going to sit here and cringe and, and, and cross my fingers. And Max, what are we going to watch next week? Well, we're, we're going to watch something by one of your absolute favorite directors, Mr. George Lucas. Oh. Yes, we are. I mean, it's going to be, it's called A Big Bag of Rock Salt. <laughs> Wait, I, no. I've seen every George Lucas film. I uh, you think. haven't seen, I don't believe you have seen this one, because this one stars Richard Dreyfuss and Opie. We're going to watch Howard. American Graffiti. Wait, really? That's George Lucas? That is George Lucas. And you know, you, there are a couple of ways to notice this, in addition to the presence of Harrison Ford. Yeah. The spaceships well, and monsters and stuff? No, but there's a license oh. plate that I believe is THX 138. 1138. No, it's six. It can't be uh, that many digits. In this movie, it's 138. Oh, well, that's wrong, then, isn't it? <laughs> well, you can argue that with George. He can't hear you from atop his huge pile of money, but you can argue it with him. Curse but, you, George Lucas! But yes, this is very early George Lucas, and there's nary a droid or a Jawa to be seen. There's just cars, teenagers, and of course, that science fictioniest of eras, the 1950s. Join us for that, won't you? This has been a co production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. 